Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans, welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week, we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and today on the show, we're talking with local Black food historian, writer, and cookbook author Dia Barry Mitchell about her Soul of DFW bus tours, plus Texas Monthly Taco editor Jose Rilat. It's going to be really fun, and it all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food, like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make-every-recipe-in-the-cookbook foodie or a my-favorite-recipe-is-reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're so excited to have you here for our show as we kick off the fun month of May where there's a lot going on. We've started adding more detailed show notes of everything we talk about, and you can find those recaps online with a bunch of links at dallasnews.com slash food. We also want to hear more from you, so send us your questions and voice memos via our forum at dallasnews.com slash food or email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Later on, we'll be talking about the soul of DFW bus tours and Black-owned restaurants in Dallas, plus Mexican food with Jose Rolot. But now we're going to kick the show off with some chatter about big stuff in the news, and there is a lot going on. First off, we have our Dallas Morning News city government reporter, Everton Bailey, here to talk to us about the new food truck rules in Dallas, which is a really big deal. Hi, Everton. Welcome to the show. Hey, Erin. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for covering this food truck issue. Can you tell us a little bit about these new rules for food trucks in the city of Dallas and what some of the key changes are? Yeah, so there there are a couple of them, but I'll try to be as brief as I possibly can. So most of the city rules related to mobile food vendors were created in the 1970s, and they were last updated in 2011 before the most recent changes. And so one of the key changes is the expansion of what vendors can use to prepare and serve food out of. So Dallas previously only allowed you know, small carts that you can push in motorized vehicles, you know, specifically uh, commercially manufactured food trucks. So we're talking about, you know, you had to use trucks that were built for the specific purpose of being a food truck. Now converted non-motorized options are on the table. So we're talking like trailers or even shipping containers. Um, And it can run in the six figures to buy a commercially manufactured truck, but it's much cheaper to use another enclosed option that either has wheels like a trailer or can be towed away. The city did allow trailers previously, but only for temporary events like the state fair. And you could serve out of shipping containers before, but there had to be a concrete foundation there as well. Uh, And now, so you don't have to do that. There was also a previous requirement that mobile food operators had to go to commissary kitchens after every day they operated. Uh, Commissaries are Uh, essentially operating bases for food trucks where the vehicle itself can be cleaned, maintained, parked, 
and food and other supplies can be kept, prepared, and stored. Now the rules are that as long as you're following health requirements, vendors can go at least once a week instead of every day. And that's supposed to be a big help because for vendors who have an annual permit, it can be pretty expensive to have to haul their food truck to a commissary kitchen every day. Um, And most of the locations are in northern Dallas. Um, And then also there are just other changes as well, like allowing all foods to be prepared and served by mobile vendors because you weren't allowed to cook raw seafood and poultry on site before. They had to be breaded, frozen, and fried. And some fees have been lowered too. Uh, For example, it used to cost more money to pay for annual inspection fees for like an ice cream cart compared to a food truck. Oh, interesting. So it seems like a lot of these rules are to basically take down some barriers to entry for people and make things easier for food trucks, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think the idea here is that by removing or lowering the barriers for food truck owners, you're allowing more people to be able to become small business owners. And the hope is also that it leads to more diversity and representation in Dallas's food scene, as well as, you know, increasing options for people looking for more affordable meals. Um, I think the aim of this is also for food trucks to add to the tourism draw of Dallas. You know, the food truck scene in places like L.A. and Portland and Austin, you know, really add to those cities. And the hope is that this could lead to steps in that same direction right here in Dallas. Yeah, that's interesting. And so how long did this kind of take to happen? And was there any opposition? I think the new rules were approved unanimously on the council, right? Yes, yes. The the rules were approved unanimously. And these have been in the works for about a year. Uh, So last year, there was a task force made up of local chefs and other representatives and supporters of the food and beverage industry. They wanted to look into ways to update Dallas's rules on mobile food businesses. As I said, they hadn't been updated since 2011 and had been established in the 70s. And so they looked at similar rules from more than a dozen other cities like Austin, like Portland, uh, San Antonio, Miami and Chicago were also among the group uh, to see how they compared to Dallas. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, uh, Dallas is a lot more restrictive. Uh, And so... (laughs) You know, there was also a local nonprofit that was heavily involved in the changes called Better Block Foundation. And they helped create a month-long food park in South Dallas last year with a bunch of different vendors. And it drew a lot of people. That group was also able to get feedback from vendors who work there. And so all of that was used to propose changes to the city's code enforcement department. And the new rules Mm -hmm. were crafted from there. And so I, in reading your story, I know Krista from the Better Block Project mentioned something about how this is just the beginning and that they want to do a lot more. What, what are some of those things they want to, to do to kind of grow this? Yeah, I mean, namely, it'll be trying to expand the places where food trucks can operate is going to be a big one. Um, it's pretty limited right now. And also, you know, currently with these new rules, I mean, one of the big issues is going to be how does the city go about letting people know that these new rules exist mm-hmm. and how to get people caught up to speed who already operate uh, as a food, a mobile food vendor or the people who are looking to get into it? And so those are some of the big issues that are on the horizon. Okay. Okay, great. And I know also in your story mentioned that there are some pilot programs Mm -hmm. that the city wants to start in the next few months. Can you talk about those a little bit? Yes. So uh, this latest one should be either later this month or sometime in June. It'll be two uh, mobile food areas 
One will be in Key Spark in Oak Cliff, and the other will be in Pacific Plaza in downtown Dallas. It's a 60-day pilot, so it'll be something similar to the food trucks over at Clyde Warren Park. All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Everton, for being here. It'll be interesting to see how this effort grows in the city of Dallas and what neighborhoods um, kind of embrace the food trucks and the whole food truck scene. So thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you for having me. Coming up, we'll be talking with Dia about the Soul of DFW bus tours. We'll be right back. Central Market is really into food. Like when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. This is Eat Drink DFW. I'm Erin, and we're back to talk with special guest Dia Barry Mitchell about, well, lots of good food stuff, plus the relaunch of her Soul of DFW bus tours. Dia is a food historian here in Dallas, and she writes for us regularly about Black food history from coffee to rice to barbecue. She's also a cookbook author, activist, and super fun person to talk to. Hi, Dia. So happy to have you on the show. Thank you for having me, Erin. Awesome. Well, since this is your first time on our show, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where you grew up and how you ended up writing and studying food? Yeah, that's a really good question because (laughs) people who grew up with me, like they still give me a hard time about it. I grew up in Sherman, Texas, Mm -hmm. born and raised up near the Red River, and I did not cook. I didn't even know how to make rice. Like I was I was not good um, because I didn't I didn't have to be. My mom cooked a lot. Um, my grandmother helped raise me and she cooked a lot of soul food. My mom was like a lot more contemporary. So I always tell people I kind of had the best of both worlds. I wish I had an interesting story to share about like <laughs> cooking with, with my family when I was little, but I just was not that girl. Um, they did all the cooking for me and it wasn't until I got older and I moved to Houston and I had to cook. That I discovered that I had a pretty good talent. Um, And then it it helped also that my roommate at the time um, cooked a lot also. And um, she's Dominican. And so she taught me a lot of her mom's recipes. And so that's kind of when I began cooking. But yeah, all of my old friends, they still tease me a lot. They're like, wow, in college, you didn't even have a hot plate. And now all of a sudden... (laughs) You have all of these foods. You're you have preparing. a cookbook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how did you sort of get into this space where you were studying like black food history in Dallas? Mm, that actually started for me a few years ago. I was receiving my master's degree at SMU. And mm-hmm. one of the papers that I worked on for my thesis, I really couldn't think of anything. Mm-hmm. And then I just recently um, read a book. I can't remember which one it was. It's actually probably right behind me on my library shelf right now. Um, but it was a it was an old book and it referenced a vintage cookbook. And then from then, I just remember thinking, wow, that would be really interesting if I wrote about um, historical Black foodways. And then that one thing led to another. So I finished um, the thesis with that. And then I just kind of stuck with it. You know, I, I realized I had a, a passion for the subject um, right. And so I began to try to read everything I could really get my hands on. 
um, yeah, so that's how it started. Cool. And so what are some of the most interesting things you've learned in your in your research? The things that I've learned are probably things that aren't tangible. And so I say that because I think when I first started, I was really naive to a lot of things. And now that I've been in it for a few years now, and I've kind of grown with the craft, I should say, I feel like my eyes have been opened and, you know, not everything is black or white. I oftentimes want to fit everything into a nice little box. And that's how I was before. But in studying and all the research, you know, oftentimes things just aren't quantifiable. So say, for example, I recently wrote about uh, barbecue, mm-hmm. which was very interesting. But the left side of my brain wants to go back and say, oh, well, we had X amount of restaurants open black owned restaurants that served this food in 1920. And so just because someone didn't have a brick and mortar restaurant, um, for example, doesn't mean that they weren't serving from their home and still bringing in income that way. Uh, And so I think the one thing that I've learned is that oral history and storytelling are so impactful. And I want to really begin relying on that a lot more than I possibly have been. in the past. And so that's, that's one thing that I've learned, not to discredit oral history. And so I know you're trying to do that a little bit um, with your um, Soul of DFW bus tours, which you mm-hmm. launched, I think, several years ago. And now there's kind of a, a relaunch this spring and summer. So can you talk a little bit about those tours? They're super cool. So I originally had the concept in 2017. Um, okay. I was on vacation. And I thought, you know, every time I visit somewhere, whether it's domestic or international, I always take a tour, like some kind of tour. And so for this particular location, I couldn't decide if I wanted a food tour or a history tour. And then I was just sitting and I was like, you know what? It would be really interesting if I could merge the two because, you know, there are some correlations and just... um, merge it into one bus tour. And so that's what I did. So when I got back in 2018, we started those up and uh, have been rolling ever since, uh, pun intended, up until the (laughs) pandemic. And then of course we had to shut down. Uh, That was really painful because I felt like we lost a lot of our momentum. We were just kind of hitting our stride, had a lot of great sponsorship opportunities rolling in. And then literally, like everyone else, we had to pull the plug. And so we've been pretty dormant since then. And then I made the decision to come back recently. And the first tour was just immaculate. It was perfect. The second one was was really great also, well executed. But I did notice that it was a lot harder to sell tickets. And so I'm hoping that as time goes on, people will see that we're here to stay now. And it's mm-hmm. not just some uh, kind of a flash in the pan. But Uh, I really enjoyed doing the tours. As you mentioned, it's a combination of both of my passions. Whenever people get on the bus tour, I always open it up by asking them, what do they think? What's their definition of culture? And so there is no wrong answer. I just do it because I... I want to put them on the spot. No, I'm just <laughs> I do it because I really want to hear what they have to say because my tours will probably evolve in the future. But for right now, the way that I choose to educate my community about Black culture is through food and history. You know, who knows? That may begin to involve art 
at some point mm-hmm. or music. Uh, there are a lot of different avenues that you could go into that would all fit under the umbrella of culture. But for right now, our focuses are food and, and history to allow people into uh, the Black experience, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And so who are some of the uh, restaurants and other spots you've had on the tour? One thing that I like to do is that although we do sometimes have popular folks on our tour, I mm-hmm. really love to kind of find those who aren't as popular and maybe you know, haven't been given a spotlight mm-hmm. so that we can shine that on them. So some of the places that we've had so far for this year have been I Am Burger um, in oh, West yeah. End. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've been there or not. They have amazing, amazing food, period. But I love the chicken wings there, the okay. chili garlic ones. Excellent. Very excellent. And then another place, Just Good Cajun, which is at the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. And then just over in Fort Worth, because we also do Fort Worth. Um, okay. We've had Drew's Place. Smokeaholic's Barbecue is obviously very right. huge right now. But right. he's been on our tour. He's been very supportive. Uh, and Brunchaholics, he just opened up oh, his right. own restaurant. He started out at Farmer's Market, Chef Jesse. Um, he's also been very supportive. So a lot of good support um, from a lot of people. And I'm just looking to expand on that. What different sort of areas of Dallas? I mean, you mentioned Fort Worth you've been to. Yeah. Where can people expect to go on on the tours? Really all over. <laughs> we have been to South Dallas. I haven't ventured so far north yet, but I would love to do that. If So if anyone is listening from North Dallas and you want to help me scout some locations, <laughs> please, please, please let me know. Yeah, all, all over the place. South Dallas, we have been to Garland, downtown, West End, uptown, mm-hmm. uh, and then for Fort Worth, Como area, Stop 6, downtown. There's pretty much not anywhere we won't go. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, thank you so much, Dia, for being on the show. You're welcome anytime. And I can't wait to watch how the tour grows and evolves. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Erin. Always a pleasure. All right. Stay with us. Coming up in our next segment, we'll talk with Texas Monthly Taco Editor Jose Rolot about why he says Texas is the best place in America to be eating Mexican food right now and how Dallas fits into that. That's right after this. Hey, listeners. This is Christopher Wynn. I'm the arts and entertainment editor for the Dallas Morning News. And that, thankfully, includes the food team that you're listening to right now. What I love about this beat is that food stories are people stories. Restaurants say a lot about who we are, our culture, and the health and well-being of our communities. If you want to help continue supporting this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com listen. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Eat, Drink, DFW. And for this segment, I'm joined by Jose Rolot, taco editor at Texas Monthly, who was just nominated for a James Beard Media Award for his Tex-Mexplainer series and the massive Tacopedia. He travels around the entire state telling the stories of the best Mexican food in Texas, but especially of the history and the people behind it. Hi, Jose. Thank you so much for being on the show. Congrats on your nomination and welcome. Hi, thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, thank you. Since this is your first time on the show, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you came to be a food journalist? It was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how all of us fall uh, into journalism, probably. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, so I edited a neuropsychiatric journal up in New York, uh, and I was dissatisfied. So uh, a friend of mine worked with the Alt Weekly New York mm-hmm. Press, and I began the freelance for them. I did their Cheap Eats column, and then when my native Tejana wife and I moved to Dallas, I began to work with Mark Donald at the Dallas Observer. Okay, cool. Writing about tacos there. And so that was basically how it all started. And you know, now I have a book, American Tacos, A History and Guide, <laughs> and my dream job as Texas Monthly's taco editor. That's awesome. And how long have you been doing that at Texas Monthly? A little bit more than two and a half years. You've covered a lot of ground in two and a half years, it seems like. You know, after reading the Tacopedia, I was like, wow, this is a lot you've done. Yeah. So that was, uh, that wasn't plan A. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Plan A was a list package, much like the previous taco issues and barbecue issues. But this little thing called the pandemic forced us to, dare I say, pivot <laughs> right? <Yes. laughs> and you know, that was all me i i traveled the texas mexico border in five days i crisscrossed the state a lot of the work i'd already started mm-hmm. when i began in 2019 but with the pandemic it became more difficult to cover rural areas because of the laxness to adhering to the governor's mass mandate. This year is the year of the rural Texas. Oh, okay. That's good to know. That's excellent. So you're kind of out and about going into the rural areas this year and exploring those more. Yeah. I've already been to Brownwood, San Angelo, Gonzalez. Oh, wow. Stockdale, mm-hmm. a bunch of little towns I, I that I really didn't know existed. <laughs> and so um, the last time we chatted, you said that there is no better place to be eating Mexican food right now in America than in Texas. And could you expand on that a little bit? Like, how is it different here than, say, you know, California and other states? Right. So there's no better place to eat Mexican food or tacos than in Texas right now. Largely due to population shifts and mm-hmm. what the market wants and what doesn't exist or, or what the market needs with that population shift. Oh, interesting. So that diversity drives the popularity mm-hmm. and the creativity, creating new tacos, such as Indomex, which is subcontinental Indian Mexican food, extremely popular coming out of Houston. So it's really, really exciting. A lot of Californians have been moving here as the Dallas Morning News has documented well. (laughs) Right. 
they bring their own flavors and so now we're starting to see California burrito places and uh, uh, when I talk to Californian vaqueros working in Texas they say there's no better place to eat tacos than San Antonio they're right. <laughs> and these are people who work in Austin. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting that it's all kind of changing and evolving because of population shifts. Um, I know in your Tacopedia, you had the different types of and styles of tacos and you had like Asian mix and Cajun mix. So are you seeing like different cultures kind of merge together a lot on the taco scene? Yes. So whenever you have two populations living side by side, they're going to trade ingredients. This is how chili was born. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And and the same is true for everything else. Mm -hmm. So Houston is the largest city in Cajun country. (laughs) Some Cajuns like to joke, and it's just a natural fit for tortillas because things like etouffee and gumbo are stews, basically, right? And and that conforms to tacos de guisados, which are filled with stews. Now, Mm -hmm. you have to drain the gumbo. But things like Boudin, no, Mm -hmm. no, and and there's really no end to this. But we have to understand that just because you put things in a tortilla doesn't make it a taco. (laughs) Right. There's a natural process, uh, a a progression. That's kind of a four-letter word for me. (laughs) <laughs> not necessarily an evolution, but it's a development that has to undergo changes organically. Well, it's definitely very interesting to see. And as far as, you know, the scope of Texas, I know you live in Dallas. What do you see that Dallas offers on the taco scene that other cities or areas in Texas don't? And what does Dallas need more of, in your opinion? Dallas has diversity going for it mm-hmm. and that for me is the number one indicator of a great taco city right our only rival is houston mm-hmm. uh, san antonio el paso austin are very monolithic whether they be brown or white you know <laughs> so mm-hmm. right. um, yeah. but dallas has a little bit of everything and the one thing we need more of our uh, puffy tacos. Yes, yes, I love the puffy tacos. <laughs> yeah, there are two places in Fort Worth that have them: the original Mexican Eats Cafe, which mm-hmm. is supposed supposedly the oldest Mexican restaurant in Fort Worth, and mm-hmm. Palapas, which is a S- San Antonio import, right in Dallas. We have resident Dagania. Right. And so what are some of your favorite spots in, in Dallas that you just keep going back to because either 
they offer just really good consistency or they are doing a lot of creative things. When I'm off the road, <laughs> I rarely leave my neighborhood of Oak Cliff. Oh, okay. Uh, because, well, I want to spend time with the family and I need to work. Right. <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> so I go to Mascaras mm -hmm. a lot. They have a lot of Guadalajara specialties. There's no restaurant like it, really. And the decor is one of a kind. It's all lucha libre. Masks, figurines, sculptures, movie posters, everything from the owner's personal collection of more than a thousand pieces. I also go to Revolver mm -hmm. and I'll check out new places for work obviously but living in dallas really does dallas a disservice for me right because you want to stay home mostly and yeah no because i feel like there's a really big state and i sh All right. <laughs> should cover that more than i cover my hometown <laughs> but right. there's a lot here and uh, there's like I said, no better place to eat. So what are some of the, the things that you usually order? So I like to order something I think I'll probably like. Mm -hmm. Something I'm not a fan of generally because maybe it'll change my mind. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, that's good. S something that might be new to me. And then I'll throw in a wild card. So... You have your pork beef chicken kind of places. Those are everywhere. You know, you get your flat top griddled pork, carne asada, carnitas that they cheat at by roasting in the <laughs> oven. Right. Because health regulations make it difficult to do it traditionally here. Uh, I just try to keep it pretty Big, like I said, just something that I like, something that I might not like, something new to me, and right. and a wild card. Yeah, that's kind of a good rule of thumb for everyone. Like going to a place, like that's good. It's a good way to approach a menu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you so much uh, for being on um, this week, Jose. I'm sure we'll have you back on when you've got you know, your next big project or something else coming up. So, um, so definitely stay tuned for that. Thank you. Thank you very much, Aaron. And that's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week. Thank you all for joining and I hope we've made you hungry for more. Also, we want to hear from you. We want to know what y'all are eating, drinking, trying, and loving, and we want you to tell us about it. We want your questions too. So fill out our form at dallasnews.com food or email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. We'd love to share your thoughts on a future episode. The show is produced by Natalie Kalmogun. To stay up to date on every episode of this show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Erin Bookie. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.